Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we're now on our fifth year, but it's true. And it's only because of you, the listeners. And if you'd like to see us stick around for another five years, there are a few simple things that you can do that would really, really help us out. And I would be endlessly appreciative. Number one, share our episodes with your friends. If you get something out of these episodes, I'm sure they will too. So please share us with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me and our guests too. My Instagram is at audio, And let me just let you know that we love seeing ourselves tagged in these posts. Who knows? We might even respond. And number three, leave us reviews and five stars, please, anywhere you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again, I want to thank you all for the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never, ever charge you for this podcast. And I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way possible. All I ask in return is a share, post, and a tag. Now let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. I would like to welcome Matt Halpern back to the URM podcast. If you like this episode, check out episode 144, which was his first time on. If you're not familiar with him, he's a drummer, studio musician, educator, podcast host, and business owner. His band Periphery is widely considered to be one of the trailblazing acts in modern progressive music. And Matt himself quickly became a new standard for what excellent drumming sounds like. Basically, he's phenomenal. He's also known for his company, Get Good Drums, his podcast, Chocolate Croissants, and being an avid clinician. The dude is a machine, a beast. I love him. Enjoy the episode. Matt Halpern, welcome back to the URM podcast. Thank you very much. I feel like an alumni. You are pretty rad. I don't know when the last time was. It's like two or three years now. I, it's been longer than that, actually. I think it was maybe 2016 or like early Probably, 2017. Yeah. yeah, I think it was, I think it could have been 2016 because I was at, I remember being at my mom's beach house when we did it with my ex. And if that were the case, it was 2016. I mean, that makes sense. I remember being in this apartment I used to live in which was 2016. Yeah, so it's been a bit. Well, hello. Yeah, man, good to see you. I wanted to bring you on, man, because uh, you seem to me like someone, and this is just an assumption, but uh, it's a pretty safe assumption, someone who would be making the most out of this time period. And I'm seeing so many people not making the most of it. And I don't mean this in a judgmental way, like, you know, people could do whatever the fuck they want. But I have this strong, strong feeling that when the world opens back up, whether it's in two weeks or two months or six months, at some point it's going to open back up. And the people who took the most advantage of this time period are the ones who are going to hit the ground running. I don't think it's going to just snap back to the way it was. It's going to be nuts out there and in ways that we can't predict. And I think that people who are making the best of it are going to have the advantage. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm not even really looking at the reopening as the point in time in which I will actually physically get out there and hit the ground running. Oh, me neither. (laughs) 
I'm, you know, excited for that moment when things open back up because it's a it's a point of progress. However, I'm still going to be uh, watching from afar for a good bit to see what kind of happens and how it unfolds and if the precautions that people are taking are working and if everything actually does unfold successfully. At the same time, it's interesting because the things that I'm doing now are not too different than what I was doing prior to this whole mess. However, the thing that I'm really hitting the ground running with, or I should say the routine that I've created is something that will enable me to weather this kind of thing indefinitely if if necessary, which I, obviously it won't be. What I've sort of done more so than plan what I'm going to do after the fact when I get out there is I've figured out for myself, or I should say I'm figuring out for myself how I can be really effective, productive, happy in this situation, if that makes sense. Yeah, likewise, actually. I think we share the same MO here because I also, I've told the company too that even if the world opens up, say June 1st, we're not going to travel till at least July 15th. We're going to wait and see if things go okay. And so you have to manage your life right now in a way that uh, does exactly what you just said, keeps you happy, healthy, productive, and working at as close to peak efficiency, I think, as possible. What's interesting to me is that this is such an opportunity for people to examine parts of themselves that may have been shoved under the carpet or pushed to the background that they would drown out through social interactions or distractions. And now you're at home, you're stuck with your thoughts. I think a lot of people are having trouble with that, but I think this is an incredible time to finally get to the heart of why we do certain things that maybe we're not proud of or why there are certain behaviors that we feel like we need to fix or why we have wicked social anxiety or any of these things. This is the perfect time to be in your head and figure that out and establish some sort of a pattern or mental thought process that helps combat that. Or even just time to get online therapy and have it go uninterrupted for eight weeks. Yeah. And I hope a lot of people are taking advantage of that kind of thing. I mean, now is the time. And especially with therapy, I think there's sort of, and and I'm again, I'm guessing, maybe I'm wrong, but physically getting up and going to a therapy session for some people who have never done it before or who maybe feel that it's a stigmatized kind of behavior or activity, they may not do it because they don't want to literally go out in public to go do that and be seen in that scenario. I think that's correct. You think you're right on. You know, and again, I mean, it's just an assumption or a sort of... It's accurate. Guess. Yeah, it, it may very well be. But now's the time where no one has to know. You know, like you can literally do it from your couch. You can, you know, you can do it from your bed. You can do it from your porch. And nobody has to see you getting in and out of your car or walking in and out of that office or having that weird interaction with the other person who's leaving your therapist office as you're going in, which is, <laughs> and I've done that many times yeah, in my life. Yeah. It's I like, oh, that. hey. We're both fucked up. Yeah, the the the, the, <laughs> the psychiatrist waiting room is always—I don't know. 
the looks tell it all because it's not like you're going to actually talk to the people there, but it's just this understanding. <laughs> We're all broken. Yeah, it is. And I, I've always thought to myself too, like maybe you should make the door a little thicker because I can't ever, <laughs> like you can never hear the full conversation. When I'm waiting there, like I can hear certain words or like the tone of the conversation, you know? And and I always feel really like I, I try to get into my phone or pay attention to the music or read something to really take my attention away from that, (laughs) you know, thing that I should not be hearing. But yeah, I mean, I will say this about this situation. The things that we struggle with as individuals definitely are amplified right now because there's either a lot of time alone where you are in your head, like you described, or there's a lot of time interacting with the people around you. And there's a lot of need for self-awareness and there's also a lot of transparency through that where you start to see and feel what you could be doing better and how you affect those around you and conversely how others affect you in ways that you may not have ever experienced or expected before because now you're hunkered down with people. You don't get to go out for even those little breaks to drive to the gym or to drive to the supermarket or go to these other places. I mean, for and I'm just speaking for myself. I mean, for me, a lot of the hours in my day, I guess when you add them up, add up the minutes, they equate it to hours of travel time, you know, being in the car, listening to podcasts, sitting in traffic, going to this place, going to that place. I'm not doing that anymore. And a lot of that time is filled with productivity. And like you said, taking advantage of this time. But a lot of that time too is filled with interactions with other people. And I'm in a unique situation right now, just to sort of paint the picture, not to go too far off track, but no, it's it's, okay. I think it's important to know. So my wife and I sold our house and we are in the process of building a new house. And it's it's towards the tail end, which is great. But in the meantime, we are living with her parents. Dude, I'm in the same boat. Okay, right on. Let me clearly say, I mean, it's a very, really fortunate situation. They have a beautiful home. They have land for our dogs to run out back. There's plenty of space for me to come. Like I've taken over the basement, which you can see where I am. There's a pool table behind me and there's, you know, this is my, this is my now domain. However, the challenging part which is very real for me and everybody in the house right now, um, this is like a very active conversation between me and my wife, is that we're all in the same boat, right? But we're all in our own little individual boat dealing with our own level of intensity of the currents of the water, so to speak. You know, where my father-in-law is dealing with challenges that he's facing because of the business that he's in and this situation, And same with my mother-in-law and same with my wife. And I'm obviously focusing on, you know, adapting to this situation. So it's an interesting dynamic because we're all, everybody in the world right now is experiencing the same overall intensity and scenario. However, at the same time, although we're all in this together, it's a really strange time where we all feel alone at the same time. Let me give you an example. So I'm stuck at my mom's house right now. Actually, it's funny. I just did a podcast with Nolly. And the only other podcast this year where I've talked about my situation was that one. Got it. (laughs) Something about you guys uh, brings it out. But anyway, so stuck at my mom's house due to my moving plans 
got fucked up by, you know, the world events and I couldn't finish my move. Her boyfriend is an award-winning photographer. So much to your point of how everyone, you know, we're all in this together, but really we're all having different experiences of it and they're not always relatable. So if we're having dinner, I feel strange talking about the fact that both my companies are growing pretty explosively when his whole life has been shattered. He can't be doing photo shoots. So it makes it strange to try to communicate about everything because I don't want to make people feel bad and I don't want to rub anything in anybody's face. And so there is an element of it to where, yeah, I'm just keeping it to myself. I don't want to make anybody feel worse about a situation that they already feel bad about. So there is a lot of this where I'm just keeping my own experience to myself. And so I'm sure that that's true in any household where people are experiencing it in different ways. You can have a household where one person is thriving and then everybody else had their whole work situation fall apart. And what I think that will do is not create new tensions, but it'll help to bring certain tensions that were under the surface. It'll amplify them and it makes things real. Like whatever problems were there before are going to get exacerbated. But at the same time, that's quite a great opportunity to finally get to the heart of the matter of whatever issues you have with the people around you or whatever issues you have with people in general. I actually think that people like me and you are already pre-trained for this in two ways. Number one, we both toured a lot. I know that on tour, you interact with lots of people, but you still do have, whether you're in a bus or a van, like I know that people who have not toured in a bus think that it's this magical thing, but you're still cooped up in a college dorm with like 16 people for a month. So you've gotten used to that, even worse in a van. But then also you have done, I'm sure you spent a lot of time isolated while practicing, while learning how to do whatever it is that you do, whether it's the entrepreneurial stuff or the music stuff. I feel like uh, people like us are uniquely trained for this. It makes it more possible for us to just naturally be like, this is how I'm going to approach it. Whereas I think a lot of people who don't have those types of experiences are going to have a much harder time. And actually, my military friends are kind of having the same kind of attitude that me and you have because... They're used to being around the same group of people for extended periods of time with no contact with the outside world. So to them, this is just, this is like a luxury vacation. Mm -hmm. You hit the nail on the head. We are prepared for this. We are used to some degree of this. And I think of it, there's a couple different sort of situations that I relate to with that. I mean, first off, I've been touring with the same band, you know, since 2009, and it's relatively the same core group of people. It wasn't easy, but over the years, we've learned very clearly how to communicate with one another, how to accept each other. We know each other inside and out, quirks, positives, negatives. So when we tour together at this point, there is zero drama between us, right? Because we just all know each other. We all accept each other. We all know, like, we can literally see it on our faces, what kind of mood we're in and know how to position yourself around those people. And that's great. And that's a very, very 
deliberate thing that we've gotten to that point because we as a group said we need to stay together we all want to do this so how do we communicate to make sure that we can make this thing go on for the long haul yeah that's not going to happen by accident no in that sense although when we're together on tour and we are cooped up in the bus and we are having our own individual experiences there's definitely a unspoken camaraderie and understanding of what's needed at different times. And you don't really have to apologize or feel awkward in any way or feel like this isn't your space as much as it's someone else's. There's another scenario where like if I'm traveling for clinics, for example, I'm by myself, I'm experiencing most of it by myself. I may have a rep that I'm with or a person that I'm with in different cities. And in that situation, even when you are traveling with them, you know it's very temporary. The pleasantries sort of last the whole time. Everybody's on their best behavior. You kind of don't have to worry about having those deep conversations of how to interact because it's just it's temporary and it's fine. The interesting or I should say potentially messy version of that is when you sort of combine the two into the situation that we might be in right now that you described with your is it mom's boyfriend, husband? Yeah, boyfriend. I can relate to that. I mean, I'm in a very similar boat to you, boat as you in terms of, you know, kind of how things are progressing with business right now. It's good. I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, thank you. And we are experiencing a lot of the challenges that a lot of people are, even in my immediate circle. But that being said, when you have a group of people that are put together in this unique situation where you are going to be together for a long time, but it's not really your place to open up that conversation that's required for the long haul so everybody understands each other. It makes it so that it's kind of like that temporary situation where it's filled with pleasantries. Yes, exactly right. Despite it really needing to be something that allows everyone not only to relax and put their guard down and accept each other and each other's you know, positives and negatives, but to be sensitive and understanding to the vast differences from one person to the next, whether that be emotionally, physically, financially, it's a challenging thing. So to your point, the other day, you know, I was talking about a, a good day that we had with business, right? And it happened to be the same day that somebody I'm living with got some shit news about their situation with work. And I didn't know that. So after I said it... And you're just happy sharing the good news, not trying to rub anything in anybody's face. Right. And and it wasn't taken that way, which is good. But after the fact, my wife's like, just so you know, this happened. And I'm like, ah, you know, because you don't want to feel like that. But if I can get personal for a second, I have anxiety, right? And I've had anxiety my whole life. The anxiety that I have in this situation started initially with the onset of this pandemic, the uncertainty of the virus, of contracting it, of what that could mean for myself, for my family members. Is my health at risk? Am I at risk? Do I have underlying health conditions? All of these things going through my head to where the level of anxiety that I can typically keep at a minimum really shoots up. And when that happens, I become very self-focused and I get into this self-survival mode where I have to learn everything I can. I have to prepare myself every way I can. I have to come up with a game plan for battle of how I'm going to best position myself to be able to weather this for a long time. That is very much a selfish and solitary endeavor in a lot of ways. And taxing. And taxing. And it is even more so amplified 
with all of those adjectives when nobody else in your immediate circle, one, has anxiety, two, can really relate to those same worries because they're worried about other things, and three, you're having to go through those pleasantries. So that has been the challenge over the past you know, six weeks or so. It's been one, get yourself right, two, figure out how to respect everyone else around you, and then three, figure out how to actually live in the moment with all of these things happening at once, with everybody else's things happening at the same time. So I don't, hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> it does, I, and I can completely relate to you on the anxiety, because I almost died of a pandemic about 10, 11 years ago. Uh, H1N1, it came very, very close. And uh, so when this happened, my PTSD from the experience, which is what it is, because it was fucking traumatic. Did you actually contract that virus? Oh, yeah. I got H1N1 and was hospitalized on tubes for like 10 days. Oh, man. It was not good. So you you can really relate to this experience. Yes. A respiratory virus that kills you like that. I know how it feels. <laughs> You'd never, ever want to fuck with something like this. And so <laughs> when I saw that that was happening... My personal anxiety shot through the roof because it's like, what if I get this again? I, it's not even the same disease, but like, what if I get this? Like, I already almost died of one of these. Like, I don't ever want to go through that again. And it's just like, mind starts spinning. So, well, yeah, there's certain things like business-wise, shit's going great. I've got this whole mental game that I had to keep under control that nobody else in my house you know, their work might have fallen apart, but they don't have this anxiety because they've never they've never experienced uh, what it's like to have one of these things. And so the first few weeks were me trying to get them to take it seriously. Oh, yeah. That was causing a lot of friction because they'd have people over and just think that I was being paranoid. I would keep saying, guys, the world is going to shut down in about two weeks. Like, this is a serious, serious thing. You need to stop fucking around. And <laughs> they just thought I was being paranoid. I'm only laughing because I, I was... <laughs> it's funny. I mean, it, it's completely mirrored. Yeah. So you, you know the pain. <laughs> yeah. I had to get my wife on board and she's like, oh, it's not going to be a big deal. And then I had to, like, once I finally got my hooks in her... It was like, all right, now let's get your parents on board. And that's like a whole nother thing. You know, to the, literally, dude, not to deviate too much, but I, I had to call her dad and be like, hey, Natalie told me you're thinking about having some friends over to watch shows. Is that really a good idea? <laughs> I had to make that call and, and I succeeded in convincing, but it was like, it's like the same kind of thing. It's like, wait, you guys, you don't care about wearing gloves or masks? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I bought into this. I, dude, I bought into this weeks before it became a gigantic thing. Yeah, same here. Early Feb, I ordered my masks and gloves and hand sanitizer and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I, like we were on tour in early February for the first two weeks. Funny enough, started in San Francisco and ended in New York City. Oh, yeah. <laughs> dude, I was elbow bumping for that whole duration. We're on the same exact page with this because we're surrounded by people that just have different tendencies than we do and experiences. I mean, I don't, and that's the thing. I mean, I definitely have not had the experience you had. You don't want it. <laughs> I don't want it. And I also, you know, I, I don't even know why it's so scary to me, but I think because I'm a big, I'm, I'm very much an empath. And when I read stories or hear stories about people who, who have experienced this thing in the worst way, that freaks me the fuck out. 
You know, I can put myself in those situations mentally and you almost start to feel what it might be like, even though you, I probably have no real idea, but it's enough to fucking scare me into action. So anyway, sorry, d- didn't mean to cut you off, but no, no, it's, it's, it's quite all right. So what's interesting to me about that whole scenario is when you start to have those kinds of, I would call them opposing worldviews locked up in the same place. The difference between the band scenario and this is the band scenario, there might be opposing worldviews at times, but at the end of the day, you're all in it to win it. You can make it all work if you want to, like you said with your band, because there's a light at the end of that tunnel. You know, there's a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, basically. Like there's a really, really good reason that you can write down the exact reason. You can know what that reason is for fixing that relationship and making it work. Here is kind of open-ended. You've got your career. They've got their careers. This is going to last X amount of time. Then it's going to go back to how it was. Like You're still going to be family. But yeah, we're in it together in a way, but we're not really in it together. And so that necessity for working things out uh, isn't quite the same as if it is in like an us versus the world scenario, like in a band or a military unit or something. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So the people around you might not have, they might not even have that kind of experience to to know what it takes to bring a bunch of people that are cooped up together to be on the same page. And they might not even understand that that's a, that that's a thing that you can do. Right. And the result of that, for me, at least, you know, and I, again, I can only speak to my own experience is I have to really exercise. And, and we, we talk about those things that become very apparent to us during times like this of what we need to work on. Right. I need to exercise patience. Patience is, is the is that thing for me, because it's it's interesting. I, I've, I've kind of come around. Right. Whereas it started very, very intense for me and anxiety driven, it kicked that fight or flight thing on and I figured out how to fight. So I rearranged my life and my schedule and my routine and filled it with a lot of things that are going to, again, set me up for battle from, from a very strong standpoint, right? And I'm the kind of person, as I'm sure you are, when you find something that works or that you believe in, you go full force. Oh, yes. Obsessed. It is, it, it is a have to in every way. Nothing will get in the way. Nothing gets in the way. And I've done that. I've figured out the things in my, that I can do on a daily basis to make myself feel secure and strong and prepared. And, you know, it's, it's of course, if I do have to handle groceries, being very careful with that, I wipe things down, you know, all the, all the things that you need to do, washing the hands. My hands are torn up, as I'm sure yours are. It's just constant. But there's a lot of activities on a daily basis that I'm immersing myself in that have worked, not only physically to where it helps me feel better or feel good, um, it's helped make the anxiety subside, but it's put me in a place now where I feel like I can manage the situation and I am able to weather it if need be for an indeterminable amount of time. Is it less flight or fighty and more just you figure it out and now it's like maintaining while progressing kind of 
vibe? Yes, it's maintaining and it's getting to a point of mental strength, right? Which is hard to do. It's a very hard thing to do to fight your own thoughts. I think that's the hardest battle on earth. It is. And I'm not an expert at it by any means, but I'm getting better. And the things that I am doing in a day have really subconsciously and now consciously helped me to recognize and realize that you know I should stay doing those things. But that being said, because of that now, I feel good about things with myself. And now the big things left to work on are those interactions and the relationships. However, there's a lot of parameters to those. And it's also not my house. And it's also not my, you know, my family immediately, you know, it's my wife's family and and they have their dynamic for their whole lives. And I'm new into this situation overall, you know, when you when you look at the years. So there's that self-awareness aspect that sort of combats the need for, or at least my personal yearning for very open communication, because I am not shy and I, I'm fine with having um, intense, very forward, very direct conversations. However, I have to also at the same time, like I said, respect the dynamic. Absolutely. That has already been established. And so that's the challenge that I've sort of found myself. That's a good challenge, though. I think that that's something that will also pay off once the world opens back up, I feel like communication is life, really. Like in anything that we do, the better we are communicating with whoever it is that we have to communicate with, the better everything will go. Everything. Our work worlds are, we're both involved with highly intelligent, highly skilled, highly driven people like you know, I know who you're involved with. You know who I'm involved with. Everyone's fucking like, they're all killers. And so working with those kinds of people, interacting with them on a daily basis, like I'm used to just being a blunt motherfucker. And you can't just do that with everybody. And so I have to tone it down when it's in my character to just say things as they are. But the better I am at crafting that for the real world, the better my life ends up being. It's a very valuable thing, I think, to go through this and learn how to temper that because it will help. Not everybody that we're going to encounter in the world are going to be like our business partners and stuff. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, and that's why I say that the, the, the biggest challenge now is patience because I've accepted or at least I'm coming to terms with the fact that I I only have so many liberties I can take so many opportunities that I that I have taken to communicate, which has been good overall. But at, at the same time, I can't control other people. And I love to be in, in control. Yeah, you definitely can. No, and I love to be in control. You know, I can't control other people. I am expecting others to accept my neuroses right now. It's unfair of me not to accept theirs. So I'm trying to exercise patience, really tap into empathy and stoicism in the sense of I can only control my actions and how I respond to things. And I'm realizing that it's much better to more quickly figure out the right response, right? If that makes sense. So absolutely. And sometimes that response is, all right, I'm tapped out. I'm going to remove myself. Sometimes the response is have a conversation. Sometimes the response is weather the conversation, right? Meaning like, Stop what you're doing and think about 
what the other person might need. And although it's coming at you in a way that you might find annoying or you might find <laughs> as a pain in the ass, maybe the reason that they're doing it, whatever that behavior is, as cryptic as I'm being, maybe that's the product of their own anxiety or the product of their own turmoil that they're facing. And I have an opportunity to help them get through it instead of be annoyed by it and get angry or frustrated. Yeah, and make it worse. Right. And I say all this, you know, after coming off probably one of the the, the hardest conversations I've had in this whole experience last night with, with my wife about a lot of this stuff that I'm referencing right now. And I love her for many reasons, but because of her perspective and because she knows me and she also knows her, her family and, and how to explain certain things that I might not be seeing. And what I just described to you was sort of her perspective. It's like, well, maybe those things are happening because that's the result of the feelings that they're experiencing that you can relate to from an anxiety-driven standpoint. And that's just how... Yeah, that's how it materializes. Exactly. And when it's looked at like that, then I, I do really become sympathetic and I, it makes me want to understand it more and be empathetic to it. So it just brings us back to that that word of patience. And that's what I'm trying to really work on right now because that's the biggest, more immediate challenge to survival over the next you know three to four weeks that I'll continue to be here. <laughs> or longer. Or longer. Yeah, it, it, right. You know, Although our, the house is going to be ready hopefully in mid to end of May, it's funny, I went over Maybe. and we met, we, yeah, we met with our builder the other day and I was like, so are we on track for settlement? And he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll we'll be right up to it. But you're living with your in-laws, so if it's like a day or, or like a week or, or like two or weeks a month. late, like <laughs> you're fine, right? You're not paying Or rent. a month or two months. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> hmm, let's get this going, you know? But no, it is. And, and I'm very fortunate. And I also have to remember that this situation and living here this place has been the place that I've been able to develop a new routine, develop and sharpen the tools that I've needed to sharpen to face this better. I would be very much off base by saying it's been a bad situation because it's been a very good situation for me to develop these things. And you know what, man? I don't want to give you more anxiety, but there's a possibility that it could be like three more months. Totally. So that patience thing, I think that that is the best. So this is what I was talking about. You've identified something in yourself that you want to overcome, which is impatience. Perfect scenario to do that. And that's something that will serve you your entire life. Right. That will serve you very, very well moving forward. But now I'm curious. I want to know what some of these things are that are part of your routine. I want to kind of match them up against what I've been doing because I've also, I've altered my routine. This is what's great about this scenario. You know the nail the mix schedule. You know that every single month we do these trips. For me, getting my health back on track is something that once I decided to do it two years ago, that part was taken care of, but the travel kept fucking it up. And so like you'd have like two good weeks and then travel and then routine broken and then come back and then have to get into the new routine and then 
two good weeks and then travel. And there's no end in sight because Nail the Mix is month after month after month after month after month. It can't stop. And so it was starting to make me nuts. Like I need like 90 days or like 120 days on my own to just like take care of this thing once and for all. How the fuck is that going to happen? And when this happened, I was like, whoa, this is now. And so I went nuts with my schedule and what I'm doing. So I kind of want to compare notes a little bit because uh, I've been doing a lot of stuff that is making me feel stronger. Mentally, I've lost a ton of weight. I'm feeling physically stronger. Mentally, I'm doing very, very well. I've combated my anxiety mostly pretty effectively. Let's talk shop. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, and I'd love to hear what you're doing as well. I can go first as, as far as just kind of what a normal day entails. And I, I want to touch briefly on something that you mentioned, which is a routine is only as good as your ability to stick to it, right? And when we travel, that routine changes for sure, especially when it's a short trip, right? Overall. Yes, which is what we do. Right. A series. Sometimes it'll be like three short trips in a month or something. Right. And that's challenging. One of the things that I've allowed myself to do within my routine is be a little bit flexible with it. Because despite me being in one place, my schedule on a daily basis is very different day to day. Today, specifically, you know, I was up early for a phone call with somebody who was out of the country. So I was on a very specific time zone or I was, you know, accommodating their time zone. And normally I wouldn't do that in the morning because I want to make time for my things. And then we obviously have this time set aside where I would normally be doing something different. So my point is, I have to be kind to myself about being flexible and I have to be okay with shifting things around. Same here. Absolutely. But still accommodating, right? That is one of those things that both of us are going to be able to apply even better the next time we do have to travel because we'll say, all right, change is happening, but these things need to happen today. It doesn't necessarily matter when they happen today. They just need to happen today. Yeah. Well, once they're a ingrained habit, which is why I wanted the 9 to 120 days was to turn it into lifestyle habit rather than attempting to turn it into lifestyle habit. I think once it's at that point, then the malleability of the schedule isn't such a big deal. Exactly. Because it just becomes like brushing your teeth at night and, and you know, taking a shower when you take a shower. Is, it's just, it's a habit. I think it's important for me to frame kind of why I sought these things out in the first place during this time. So I've always exercised, right? I've always enjoyed working out mentally, physically. I feel better when I do. I've always done it. Being in the band that I'm in, being a drummer, I've wanted to stay in shape. It's been very important to me. Exercise has been that one thing that is not really new in this situation. But what is new are my eating habits, and the other things that I'm doing physically and mentally on a daily basis that have become habits, right? So where did they come from? Well, as I mentioned, when this whole thing happened, started to happen, I started to pay attention to what the high-risk individuals, what, what that was, right? And two of the things that stood out to me were high blood pressure and asthma. So a couple of years back, I developed adult-onset asthma. And I think it was because when I started dating my wife, she had two cats. I was allergic to cats. I was sleeping you know, in bed with her in the room with the cats. I developed asthma because of it. Now, I've since kicked it. 
I don't really, I'm not asthmatic at all on a daily basis by any means. And I can pick up the cats and put my face in, in that, you know, in their faces and I'm fine. But the idea of asthma got in my head, right? And then yes, high blood pressure. So I suffer from white coat syndrome. The minute I go into my doctor's office and they take my blood pressure, it's like through the roof. Yeah, same here. <laughs> right? And the argument was made to me one time when I was like, well, it's only because of white coat syndrome. They were like, yeah, but it doesn't change the fact that your blood pressure is high. Right now, in this moment, it's still higher than it should be. So I thought about those things. And then I thought about like my dad has type 2 diabetes and, you know, he had a heart attack at some point. So I'm just thinking to myself, well, fuck, I'm prone to a number of these potential high risk things, even though I might look like I'm in shape under the hood. What the hell is really going on? Do I really have high blood pressure? Do I have asthma? And will these things be exacerbated if I were to contract? this virus. And that scared the fucking shit out of me. I started doing research into what can I do to lower my blood pressure? What can I do to help my lungs get stronger? What can I do to make sure that I'm not carrying around extra weight that could affect both things? And um, those were the catalysts. Those were the things that sort of pushed me into the research that I, I started doing and ultimately then finding the routines that I do now. So I really got engaged with the Wim Hof method, okay, which a lot of people listening to this are probably familiar with Wim Hof. Yes, absolutely. Wim Hof, also known as the Iceman. That dude's nuts. Yeah, he is. He is. I don't think he's as nuts as he as I used to now that I'm doing it. Oh, no, I mean nuts in a superhuman sort of way. Absolutely. I don't mean in a crazy sort of way. Like, you know, what the fuck? How is that possible? I'm buying into it and I'm starting to see the possibilities of reaching those levels of nuts, quote unquote, right? So why did I look into to Wim Hof? Well, the, the two main things that he is known for is his breath work technique that he you know evangelizes and, and puts out there and cold exposure. Those two things combined with exercise and eating right, meditation uh, and some other things have endless health benefits, right? And if, if you look at, again, the, the two main things that I was concerned about, they're directly related to improvements in those areas. So the breath work aspect of it, doing the breathing methods on a daily basis have helped to expand my lung capacity, have helped to strengthen my lungs by getting more oxygen to your blood and within your body. It helps you to get rid of inflammation and helps you to get rid of toxins in your system by allowing more oxygen to flow through you, which therefore can really help to get rid of any bad shit in your body. Yeah, absolutely. So are you doing it in the cold showers like I am? Yes. Well, so I am I'm doing cold showers uh, and that's the next part I'm going to get to. So the breathing stuff I do if I'm lucky, I'll do it twice a day. Here's the routine. I'll talk more about the cold stuff in a second, but I wake up right into the shower. And I've built up to this. Let me be clear about this. I didn't start by taking full 10 to 15 minute freezing cold showers in the morning. You can't start that way. You start with like 30, 30 seconds. seconds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I built up to that. I wake up right into the shower, at least 10 to 15 minutes of a cold shower in the morning. Now, when you say cold, 
You mean fucking cold? All the way. Okay. We're on a well system here, so the water is as cold as the ground. Okay. In the morning, it's in the 40s here. So we're talking about between 40 and 50 degree water, which may not seem cold, but- Oh, dude. (laughs) It's freezing. Since I do this stuff, I can tell anyone who's listening, it is fucking cold and 10 or 15 minutes is like- It's hard. It's hard, yeah. Yeah, and it is, it's a challenge. But while I'm taking the shower, I am focused on my breathing. I'm not anywhere near as intense with it as I would be if I was out of water or out of the shower because there's obviously you don't want to pass out, which you can do if you're making yourself hyperventilate in a way, which we can talk about. But yeah, I do the shower. I focus on my breathing and my intention with the shower to stay in, to arm my body, to not feel the cold. Dude, I feel like the breathing is what helps me handle it. It does. Well, it's, it's the control of the breathing. That is what helps you handle it. Yeah, exactly. The control of the breathing controls my mind. And then my mind stops processing the terrible feeling of the cold. So I'm not sure that it's the breathing itself, but I think it's, I mean, maybe it is, but I know that there's a mental component that because I get so focused on the breath, it takes the attention away from the insane bad feeling I'm feeling with that cold. Yeah. It's, well, it's meditation, right? It, it's it's bringing you very much to the present, but a different form of that present. You know, you can't deny that you're feeling cold on your body, which is a very uncomfortable feeling. No, but you can accept it. You accept it. And then you focus that energy instead of on, oh my God, this is so cold. I'm freaking out onto, okay, relax, enjoy it. Breathe slowly, breathe calmly, realize that it's not going to harm you, that this is actually really beneficial. And also, you start then to think about, okay, my hands are really cold, right? My extremities are cold because they've cut off blood circulation. And the reason that my hands have cut off blood circulation is because all the blood is rushing to protect my internal organs from the cold. And this is eventual stuff, but like this is the kind of thing I'm working on in the in the cold showers right now. I'm working on putting my hands specifically, which don't have a lot of blood flow, into the cold water and focusing on sending the blood in my body to the hands to help warm them up just as much as my core is being warmed up, right? So not only does it start with accepting, focusing on breath, but eventually it goes to, huh, this part of my body feels more uncomfortable than the other. Let me see if I can focus on actually warming that part up And that's what I'm working on now. And that's the crazy stuff. That's like when we say Wim Hof is a nut, that's what he's able to do at will. And that's what I'm trying to develop is the ability to channel what I'm feeling and create an actual like chemical reaction or whatever you want to call it in my body that takes a thought and sends that literally into a part of my body that needs to warm up and then sends the blood there. You know what's interesting? I watched a doctor analyzing the medical studies about Wim Hof method. And as it turns out, I guess the most uh, provable benefit of how this stuff works is mentally. So it's not like, yes, there's benefit to the cold physiologically, but with a big, big deal, like the main thing he's doing is controlling his mind and his mind is then handling his body. But the cold does have physiological benefits, but the grand, grand benefit is the mental benefit, which then does affect your physiology. And let me just say, for people who are listening, if you want to do this, you got to start slow, like take a shower and then try 15 seconds of cold. 
that's it. And then the next day, try 30 seconds. And, you know, like, you go little by little. Think of it like something that you're going to get down in, like, a month or two or yeah. three. It yeah, takes no. a while. Yeah, like this is not like this 15 minute cold shower thing is not going to happen right away unless you're, you know, a former Navy SEAL or some shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to know what to expect and you have to be ready for it. And the effects are predominantly it's on your mind, right? It's on your ability to control your emotions, to control your fears, to to face the the, the discomfort in front of you and the challenge at hand and do it with a clear head and a calm body and a calm mind. And that's what the cold helps you to do. Now, speaking of the physiological benefits to it or of it, when you are exposing your body to the cold, it forces the small muscles within your veins and your capillaries to contract because they're they're sending blood to different parts of your body at a very fast rate. And your whole body is trying to warm up. So all these little muscles that surround all of the veins in our body start getting stronger and stronger and stronger. The stronger they get, the more easy it is to circulate blood through our system. The stronger they get, the wider they get, the less blood pressure there is, right? And it's effective at lowering blood pressure, right? That was another reason why I thought about, I'm going to get into the cold, train my body to be able to move blood through my system better and not you know, be as tense at the same time because the tension, the anxiety, the toxicity that you create when your mind is freaked out, it creates like acidity within yourself, which creates inflammation. And cortisol. And cortisol. And it's just right. And so it's just all bad. So the combination of the physical benefits with knowing how to be calm, knowing how to slow down your heart rate and think about what to, you know, how to do that. And and again, going into the cold is a great way to try that. When you get into a cold shower, your heart rate goes, starts bumping because you're experiencing trauma in a way. If you can control your reaction to that trauma, slow down your breath, slow down your heart rate, that same exact mental state can be applied to anxiety. Yes, absolutely. Or whatever negative situation you're facing. So that's how I start my day. I could be having a shitty morning and I do that and it puts me in a fantastic mood. Dude, you know what else is great about it? It is a great caffeine substitute. It is. I used to drink like six Red Bulls a day. Now I will have like one. One and like a green tea, which... Like, I'm telling you, I used to have six a day. That's a lot. Plus Adderall. Now it's like one or two servings of caffeine a day. Like, these cold showers, they wake you the fuck up. And in a way that drugs never could, because your whole body is awake. It's this natural energy that is far more powerful than drinking coffee. Not that there's anything wrong with drinking coffee, but... If we're talking about lowering blood pressure, there's a way to get that energy without spiking your blood pressure too. Yeah, because caffeine, it's a very well-documented method of uh, how to spike your blood pressure. (laughs) So that being said, I do drink my coffee every day, but I'm not having anywhere near as much as I used to, similar to you. Well, I've heard that because I'm trying to, like I'm actively controlling my blood pressure too. 400 milligrams and under a day and you're fine. Yep, it's funny. I haven't measured that for myself, but you know, I'll do one pour over and that's it a day now, as opposed to I used to drink iced coffee all day, black iced coffee all day long, morning, afternoon, night. That's well over 400 milligrams. Exactly. So I've cut back a lot there. And I really, honestly, man, 
I do it now because of what I truly enjoy coffee. I truly enjoy the challenge of making a really good pour over every day. You know, that's another one of those challenges that I weave into my morning pretty much every day. I want to make myself a really good tasting cup of coffee. The other benefit to drinking hot coffee like that at the temperature at which I drink it, which is right around like 195, 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Reason why I'm drinking that is because it's helping to warm up my lungs. I find that if I do the like the heavy breath work in the morning without hot coffee, my lungs are a lot more vulnerable to coughing or to getting congested or even to to a very light asthmatic response. Whereas the heat and breathing in the warmth, and it could be a cup of tea, it could it can be anything. It doesn't need to be coffee. I just like coffee. But I do the breath work after having a hot drink because it helps me have a better experience. Interesting. Okay. Let's talk about the breath work real quick. So the shower, you are doing some breath work in the shower, right? Yes, but I'm not doing it anywhere near the level of intensity or like duration that I do it when I am actually sitting down and doing meditative breath work. Okay, so in the shower, it's more like tactical. Like It's tactical and it's slow and it's very controlled. So like when I'm doing the showers, it's like very relaxed. And clear the lungs out completely. Right, exactly. And then what, but that's the thing. I only do that really in the beginning of the cold shower because as my body's adjusting to it, once I feel good, I don't need to really focus on my breath and then I can enjoy the cold shower and let it actually have more physiological benefits. I like when my body gets red because it means that the blood is rushing to the surface and I'm activating all of those capillaries and veins that I want. That's the goal for me is Mm -hmm. if I'm not turning red, and getting flushed in that cold shower, um, I'm not doing it right. So that's part of the goal. The other thing I'm trying to do in the cold shower, and there's a lot of you know talk about this and different sides of it. I'm trying to focus on activating my BAT, B-A-T, which is also as brown fat. Yes, brown adipose tissue. Yes, exactly. You know what, man? I have obviously, this is a near and dear subject to my heart. I have read the studies that go both ways, but I will say this, even the studies that say that uh, it's not such a big deal, they still acknowledge that it activates it and burns it. They just say it doesn't burn it as much as some other people say. Yeah. So for people listening that are curious as to what that is, so when we're born, when we're babies, we can't exercise, we can't really you know, take showers, we can't necessarily eat all the food we should eat to fight off you know the bad stuff in our system so we're exposed to cold we're exposed to the elements we're born with two types of fat right the white fat and the brown fat the brown fat essentially is there to help create heat in the body that's the simplest way to explain it if we're talking very layman's terms brown fat eats white fat and the output of that is heat to help warm us up so when we're babies we have a lot of this and then eventually we lose that baby fat we start to wear clothing, be in warm houses, be in warm environments. We adapt to that and we, our bodies say, oh, well, we don't need this thing called brown fat because we have comfort everywhere else and we can now get rid of this and not have to focus energy on developing this. So as we grow older and become adults, as you know, we lose a lot, if not all of the brown fat that we were born with as babies. What's interesting and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but there's a lot of cultures out there, indigenous cultures who are exposed to cold or who don't wear a lot of clothing, who in the studies have um, shown to have higher levels of brown fat even as adults. 
And it's because they haven't had the comforts of warmth and their bodies have had to maintain that brown fat in order to help keep them warm, which is why they can sustain and manage colder temperatures with less clothing. So the whole point is with these cold showers, we're making ourselves uncomfortable. We're exposing ourselves to the cold. The more you do it, the longer periods of time, the more you start to be able to withstand that cold. You're essentially forcing your body to adapt to a, an uncomfortable situation like that, which then causes, at least from what I'm feeling, the reproduction and the growth of brown fat, which is then used internally to warm you up. Which burns calories. Which burns calories, which is why they say when you take cold showers, it can help you lose weight. What's happening is you're activating brown fat, which eats white fatty cells, and therefore you're burning calories as you do it. There's been interesting studies about this with like swimmers, for instance, why they need so many more calories than other types of athletes, even though they do a similar amount of work or similar amount of you know, expenditure, but burn way more calories because of the cold exposure. That's why Michael Phelps, yes. for instance, was taking in when he was competing about 10,000 calories a day. 10,000 calories a day is like what those strongman dudes have on their cheat days. And it's like a big deal when they hit that 10,000 mark. But apparently for Michael Phelps, that was a normal day. Dude, he's a swimmer. Not a strong man. Well, and, and, and that's why I, I actually buy into this whole thing of, you know, the, the brown fat activation and the ability to regenerate, so to speak, or rebuild the amounts of it in your body through this cold exposure. And it's not to lose weight for me. It's more so. It is for me. Sure. And, and a lot of people. And that is it's an effective method for sure. If you're trying to lose weight. With just this method, don't trick yourself. This is something that will only help it marginally. It's something that if diet, exercise, proper nutrition, all that stuff is far more important. But if you already have that stuff dialed in and then you add this, it's going to add a little bit of extra juice to your plans. Well said. And I'm also, I think we should both acknowledge that neither of us are medical professionals or doctors and we can't Correct. give medical advice. And we're, this is all just based off of public research that's out there that anybody can go read about as well. Yes, absolutely. Don't just do it because we say you should absolutely do your own research into this if it sounds interesting to you. Man, it sounds to me like you uh, have gone down the rabbit hole like I have with this stuff. Yeah, very much so. As I said, when I find something that I not only enjoy, but I think can really benefit my, my life, I want to learn everything I possibly can about it because I, I want to understand what the potential is and what I can do with it. So when I am exposing myself to the cold, one of the other things I'm, I'm working on is trying to deliberately activate that brown fat. And I've read about methods where you can physically manipulate your body and focus on flexing certain muscles in your body that can actually activate that brown fat. It's hard to say whether the length of time that I'm in the shower activates it or whether the practice that I'm working on actually activates it. But when I do these methods or physical sort of flex sessions, as goofy as they may sound, I do feel effects of it. 
it's just hard to say whether or not that's what's happening because it's not like when you wiggle your fingers, you can see your fingers moving. But I'm practicing based on the methods that I've read about. What are they? Well, you essentially start at your toes. And it's, it's, it's kind of like meditating because it's very hard to do this. But you start at your toes and you focus on flexing your toes and then flexing all the muscles in your feet and then your heels and then your ankles up to your legs, up your knees, up your body. And you slowly from the bottom up flex all of your muscles in a line all the way up to behind your ears to, I think it's the pituitary gland, right? That is, I'm pretty sure I'm saying that right. Don't quote me, but it's behind your ears. And by flexing essentially the muscles back of your neck, behind your ears after building up, that can actually activate the brown fat. So it's not you're flexing your toes and then stopping and moving on. You're starting flex there and then you maintain the flex all the way up. Yes, and it's very hard to do standing up. Ooh, standing up, all right. So like I'll lean against the wall when I, in the shower when I do it. But this is something I want to be very careful to say. It's intense when you do this. It's like, and, and you should never do it in a hot environment because you will overheat yourself and like you could pass out very easily. And even doing this, now in a cold shower, you kind of get hot and you can see stars and you can feel lightheaded. So don't do this unless you are somewhere safe where you're sitting down or on a bed or in a cold environment. In general, I'm just going to go ahead and say, don't do this unless you've really done your research and you are prepared and understand it. Absolutely. Because even just doing the cold showers alone, you can see stars. Yeah, yeah. you can. So th this is like... You know, imagine holding your breath and like trying to make your face red, but you're doing that for your whole body. That process can can actually help to activate it in my experience and from the research and things that I've read. But again, I'm not a doctor and I don't want to be quoted on this uh, as the way to do it. <laughs> 100% if you're listening to this and any of this inspires you, read up on how to do it. Because if you just jump into this stuff, first of all, you're going to hate it. You can't just take a 15-minute shower without work. I mean, I guess you could technically, but you're going to hate it. I guarantee you that unless you're already a nutcase, you're not going to make it through. Like, Go slow. Do your research. Uh, I have gone down the rabbit hole with this research. This wasn't like watching a YouTube video once or something. Like I've, I've studied up on this for several months and been practicing it for well over a year now. So it's not a casual thing. Okay, that said, all right. So you do that. What's next? Yep. Then I'll typically have my coffee. I warm up my lungs. I'll breathe in the, the warmth. And then I kind of give myself like typically 30 minutes to an hour before I do my breath work. And, and that's a great time for me to respond to emails, do any kind of work I need to do for the morning for a, a good hour. I can schedule phone calls during that time. I can do whatever. But there's, there's two reasons for why I wait to do the breath work after I have my coffee. One, it's really great to do breath work on a completely empty stomach. And two, it's even better to do it on an empty stomach and an empty bladder. I was about to say, yeah, I can imagine trying to meditate first thing in the morning right after coffee. Yeah, it's not going to last long. You're going to have to <laughs> Good luck. take a trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's the thing. I, I really do like to purge, for lack of a better word, my, my gut and my stomach, my bladder, everything before I'm able to then sit down and really take in the maximum amount of oxygen into my stomach, lungs, head. And that's the next step. So I actually enrolled in the Wim Hof 10-week course. So I'm knee deep in that now. And 
I'm, I'm a little bit flexible with it. Should I do it? Is it worth it? I Yeah, absolutely. As someone who is already into this stuff. Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, it involves breath work, but it also involves movement. It does push you into the cold showers. Like some of the things that I'm doing now as part of my... Writing it down so I don't forget. Yeah, it's 50% off right now too because of this whole thing. So if you go to wimhoffmethod.com, you'll find it. We get to shout him out here a little bit, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or I should say, it's part of my wellness practice right now, if you want to call it that. I do my breathing. I do like, you know, anywhere between four to seven rounds of the breathing method. Then I'll do stretching. Uh, I'll stretch my back. I'll stretch my legs. I am doing handstands, right? Getting literally like standing on my hands with my feet in the air, you know, headstands, I should say, to send the blood flow the other way, you know? And it's all just really good stuff to to be doing. It's It's different. It's almost like variations of yoga practice um, or extreme stretching, things like that. But the whole point of these physical exercises involved with the breathing is to use the breathing method to be able to go deeper into the stretch, to go deeper into yourself and be able to hold positions longer so that you can actually feel the benefits of these physical movements. And moving in general right now I mean, it's great anytime, but just moving right now is so good for your body and so good for your mind. And when I finish a good hour long session of combined breathing, stretching, headstands, you know, sometimes push ups that are involved with the with the breath work, you really feel good. So that's what I'm doing during that time. I'm yet to do it today because I've again, I've had to shift things around. But as soon as we're finished, I've scheduled some time at two o'clock Eastern to spend an hour doing this stuff. It's become a huge part of my day. So then there's two more things that are have-tos in my day, right? One is exercise. And I pretty much am exercising seven days a week at this point. Same here. Yeah, and I'm not killing myself every day. I mean, I am sometimes. I'm doing P90X right now. It's hard. And then a cardio session too. So there you go. So And right. And so some days I do go a lot harder. Yesterday, I did 200 burpees. Jesus, dude. Yeah. That was that was good. I did I, I did it for time too. I managed to do it in in 22 minutes. Was able to do uh 200 burpees. But my goal eventually with that is to be able to do 1000 burpees, which is very hard to do. But again, I'm like setting these really intense goals for myself because why not? I have the time to do it. There's no downside, right? It, it's very beneficial. But anyway, so I'll do my exercise and then right after exercise, I bought one of those uh little like tent sauna boxes that you sit in, your head is out of it, but your body is fully inside of it. It heats up to about 140 degrees with infrared heat. And I do a sauna session for anywhere between like 45 minutes to an hour. What's it called? I don't know, but this particular one I got for like 200 bucks off Amazon. Just look up personal sauna and you'll see it looks like a box tent that you sit in. I can send you a link too to check it out. Yeah, actually, I was wanting to buy one and I forgot. And now you're reminding me and uh, I'm going to do it right after. Cool. Yeah, it's great because it, it kind of completes the cycle, right, uh, of all the positive things you can do in a day. And, and there are so many benefits to sauna use as well. As much as there's benefits to cold exposure, there's amazing benefits to exposing yourself to heat for extended periods of time. Yeah, and both of these, if you're exercising hard which I am right now. Well, because, you know, weight loss is still part of what I'm actively focusing on. I'm going extra hard with really hard stuff for me. Recovery is 
more important than it's ever been because of my age. It takes longer. Cold exposure and heat exposure are fantastic for recovery. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I'm not sore today at all. And it's because of these practices, right? And just for what it's worth, there's a lot of studies that have been done that have shown, I mean, endless health benefits to sauna exposure. It helps to get heavy metals out of your body that you don't even realize that you're consuming because you're sweating it out, which is great. It helps to purify your body just like the breathing does. But Another big benefit, at least in one study that was proven, was with consistent exposure to sauna use, it helps to lower the risk of pneumonia in about 40% of people who do it four to five days a week. Oh, I'm definitely getting this, dude. What nearly killed me when I got H1N1 was the pneumonia. I was at like 30% lung capacity. It was brutal. I am definitely getting this. Yeah, and I mean, again, you should do the research as well. Um, a good, a good reference. Kind of already have. Yeah, a good reference is um, I follow Dr. Rhonda Patrick, who many people have probably heard of, but she recently, in the past week or two, has put out some information on sauna use in relation to uh, lung health. So check out her her website. It's Found My Fitness. I will found my fitness. She's great. Yeah, she's great, and I've learned a ton from her. And part of the you know, I, I, it's funny, there's certain people out there that I look at as sort of um, the gatekeepers to whether or not I'm going to walk through a certain door. And if I get a hankering for something, I usually go to those people to see first. And she has absolutely helped to solidify the go ahead for the, a lot of the practices that I'm doing now with her scientific based evidence and research behind it. Let me add this to Rhonda Patrick. If you want to know more about the cold exposure, she has a ton of great content on that as well. She really covers it and in pretty extensive detail. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to kind of read her research papers or at least her, her summaries of those papers a couple times to make sure you get all the information, but it's, it's well worth it. Yeah, absolutely. And then the very, very last thing after that is because this little sauna thing really, it's gross. Let me just say this. These little box saunas are disgusting because you're sitting in them, you're pouring sweat into them. They're kind of hard to clean unless you like purposefully like go back and wipe them and spray them down. So if you get one of these saunas, don't invite anybody else to use it. It is your personal sweat box and it's fucking gross. Thanks for saying that because uh, my brother and I, we built a little gym here. I bought like an elliptical for it and like... We just made a gym and I was thinking right now, I'm going to put that in there. Now I'm thinking, nope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do that. Unless, unless you want to share it. No, buy your own fucking sauna. <laughs> it's just gross, but it is a temporary solution for now while I'm living here. I've actually, I don't really splurge on anything, but I splurged and in the new house, I'm going to have a barrel sauna, a real wooden barrel sauna heated by stones Again, this is how serious I'm about this stuff. I splurged on that because the value I'm going to get out of it totally outweighs the expense for it. Yeah, totally. And the amount of time I'm going to use that thing on a daily basis for years is well worth the investment into it. And the health benefits are well worth the investment. So I can't wait till I can throw this thing away because it's cool, but you can't reuse it and it smells and it's gross, but it has its effects. So after I come out of that thing completely soaked, I go and I take my last shower of the day. And with that, I don't do 10 full minutes in cold. But what I do is 
because I'm so hot, I start it really cold, probably about one or two minutes. It feels great. And then I'll turn it on warm and I'll wash, you know, like a normal shower. And then sometimes I'll end it cold, you know, because that now I'm finding myself really actually enjoying it and the feeling mm-hmm. you get after exiting a cold shower, the air feels warm. You get like good chills from being out in the air, you know, and that's it. And then I just couple that with eating healthy throughout the day, avoiding extra sugar, avoiding extra salt, you know, for blood pressure. I'm keeping yes. my salt and take below two grams a day. I'm doing under 1500 milligrams. Yeah. So we're right in that range, right? I'm just keeping conscious of all those things, getting good sleep. The only bad thing that I experience in the day is like the stuff we were talking about before. Potential frustration, potential annoyance, potential stress or anxiety. Everything you're doing for sure is going to help with that. Exactly. To that point, everything that I'm working on allows me to understand a negative sensory experience, identify it faster, and then within that, figure out how to calm it down, right? Are you doing any mindfulness meditation? I was just going to say, so yes, when I finish my breath work, And during the breath work, that's really when I'm doing that mindfulness meditation. Now, sometimes I only do it during my breath work and I really try to just focus on the breathing, especially when I do long sessions, like seven to 10 rounds. But other times when I finish the rounds and I finish the stretching and the physical stuff, I'll sit for about 10 to 15 minutes. I actually am a member of the Sam Harris app. Oh, I have that one and the Dan Harris app. Okay. Do you know about Dan Harris? No, uh uh-uh. So Dan Harris has been on the Sam Harris podcast or Dan and Sam Harris were both on Joe Rogan or something. Dan Harris is another meditation guru. Like at first when I heard about Dan Harris, I was like, you mean Sam Harris? Nope. Dan Harris is, I would say about as respected of an expert on this as Sam Harris. So you may just want to look into his stuff as well. It's just as good, just different. Yeah. Okay. It's just as good. Yeah. And I mean, man, I do it and I've gotten better at it for sure, but I find that I enjoy active meditation a lot more. I enjoy meditation during breathing and I enjoy meditation during exercise. And that just seems to work better for me. Yeah. I will say this. Okay. So again, Not a doctor, but I will tell you what a doctor told me about this. Mindfulness meditation done at least 10 minutes a day over time builds the portion of your brain that controls your ability to feel happy. So like it strengthens it the way that lifting weights uh, strengthens muscles. Like your brain will physically be able to make you feel happier That's why the Dan Harris app is called 10% Happier. Hmm, interesting. Okay. It's based on that study. This doctor told me that this was proven through MRIs and all kinds of complex shit I don't understand. But that people who do this, they tested it on people who don't meditate, people who meditate casually, like 10 minutes a day, and then Buddhist monks. Buddhist monks had that portion of their brain like overdeveloped, obviously. But just people who did it 10 minutes a day had that part of their brain significantly more developed than someone who doesn't do it. So as someone who has suffered from depression clinically over the course of my life, this is something that I can do every single day or most days that will physically make a big difference. And then also it helps, you know, when dealing with stress or anxiety to understand what my brain is doing and 
redirect it. That was what I was sort of alluding to with knowing what's happening when I'm dealing with a stressor, you know, being able to be objective to it in a way like, okay, my mind is thinking all these things, but I'm able to, while that's going on, take a step back and look at what's happening. Oh, huh. Yeah. I'm having these thoughts, but I'm on a different plane now looking at myself, having those thoughts, acknowledging that I'm having these thoughts and I can decide whether they're productive or not. And if I decide they're productive, then it's a thought worth having. And that's a really beneficial tool for things like business, right? Or oh yeah, visionary stuff, being creative, like being able to have productive thinking ability and an active mind is, is a big gift if you use it right. But it's also a curse if you have anxiety because your mind is very active and it has the ability to create all sorts of twists and tunnels and puzzles for yourself. But if you can acknowledge that and realize that what's happening is out of your control in a way, right? Like all these thoughts that you're not actively having them, they're out of your control. You can't necessarily just shut them off, but you can redirect your focus onto something else. Absolutely. It's like, it almost takes their power away. It has helped me with my insomnia. Like I had lifelong insomnia. The past six months to a year, I've had the best sleep of my entire life. It coincides with having started mindfulness meditation. I mean, it don't work every night, but as opposed to having six week long stretches of only sleeping three hours a night because like my brain is like a hamster on a wheel, which is how things used to be. Now that only happens like once or twice a month and I'm able to fall asleep within 10 minutes, which is, I know that for a lot of people that's normal, but for me, that's been a huge, huge challenge. Also, speaking of patience and business dealings, not just as far as like with creative ideas, but we work with some very strong people when it comes to how they approach things. And you're not always going to agree with people. Also, we're in the music industry and outside of our own circles, we also have to deal with a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of BS in the music industry. And one of my drivers for starting URM and going on my own was to never have to answer to people that I thought were idiots um, or who didn't have my best interests at heart. That part of the music industry was driving me nuts. And like it causes a physical reaction in me when I have to deal with that to where it's pure hate. And being able to understand those feelings while they're happening and redirect them, man, it's done wonders for my work life. When I'm working with somebody who like does something I disagree with or we're having a difference of opinion or I just need to convince them of something that is is like going to be a huge money spend or something like that, I'm able to stay calm and focused way better than I was before. It's helping tremendously. Like I don't get triggered by things like I used to. Yeah, well, right. You become hyper aware of the things that are happening around you, whether it be like you're talking about conversations or just data. You start to become aware of it and you, you're able to sort of compartmentalize or file it into different parts of your response folders. Yeah. A lot faster. Good way to put it. Yeah. There's no downside to it, right? I can't think of one. Yeah. There, there's no downside to it. And it is hard to do it. I don't profess to, like I said, I'd much rather meditate while doing something as opposed to just sitting and being mindful. Yeah. It's hard. Oh, it, dude, it's, it's very hard. hard as fuck. But it's worth it. So, okay. So I'm curious. 
about what you're doing. Because I basically just gave you the rundown or, you know, at least the minute to minute of my days. So I'm curious to hear how we differ or are alike. Okay, so I have this thing where when I wake up, the first thing I do is move. So before anything, well, I'll have uh, like 12 ounces of water with like a pinch of Himalayan salt and lemon. Then I will move. It won't be my workout, but it'll be just enough to start the body up. So because of my insomnia issues, I also had waking up issues all my life. So I decided to train myself to wake up and just go, which I know a lot of people that they're just good at that. For me, that was horrible. I couldn't do that. It's caused me a lot of problems in my life. It's one of the reasons that I did horribly in school. Like when I was younger, it fucked up my ability to keep appointments. Like it has fucked up my life in many ways. So I decided to handle it. And so right away, move from the get-go. Then that's when the cold exposure starts. So I'll do that for 20 minutes. Then I'll get in the shower and start doing the cold work. I'm not as advanced with it as you are, but I will do five to 10 minutes. Then I'll work out. Workout number one. And the workout number one is typically cardio, something cardio for about an hour. It could be biking, it could be elliptical, it could be walking outside, it doesn't matter. The fact is, it's about an hour of cardio where I'm also listening to something that is going to get my brain engaged. And then from there, I go straight to the mindfulness meditation. This stuff is a must. I also don't have the caffeine. I'm going to try it your way though. I have been skipping the caffeine until after I'm done meditating because that way when I have the caffeine, it activates me for work. And I find that the showers activate me for working out already. So like I used to need to like pound a Red Bull and go work out. Now I take the shower and then I exercise. So this stuff is mandatory. Then later in the day, I will find a time to do P90X. But you know, whatever it is that you do, like I do something that's very intense that involves conditioning, but also strength training. I'm not saying that people need to do P90X. I'm doing it because the specific benefits that you get from it are what I'm going after. I want better balance. I want to be more functional. I want to lose more weight and I want to be stronger. Uh, last year I was doing a lot of heavy weightlifting and I'm the strongest I've ever been in my life, but I noticed that it wasn't necessarily helping with weight loss as much as I would have liked. And I know that people say exercise doesn't help with weight loss, but they're wrong. They're fucking wrong. As someone who's been dealing with this my entire life, you're wrong. What's true is that no workout is going to outrun a bad diet. That's very true. There you go. However, with the right diet, exercise will accelerate the fuck out of it. My aim is to burn 1,500 calories per day from exercise, which is a lot. It's a lot, yeah. It's a lot, but that's that's what I'm going for. Obviously, I can't totally measure it, but I can approximate it. And then not just that, I also have this under-desk bike and... I don't know, it's like pedals, basically. And when I'm doing my meetings and anything other than podcasting or recording a video, I'm on that thing. 
So getting like 16 to 20,000 steps a day, just sitting at my desk, Mm -hmm. because I've read all those studies about how sitting kills us. If you sit too much, like it greatly enhances your risk of an early death. And just working out once a day apparently doesn't solve it. I don't know if you've seen those studies, I'm very much against uh, dying early. Hmm. So I kind of am just moving all day long. So yeah, so there's an intense cardio session in the morning. There's an intense workout later. And there's constant movement throughout the entire day. Plus the mindfulness meditation and the cold work and the breath work. That is all a must. And then food-wise, I have been eating in a way that will... There's a few goals here. So I don't want to lose too much muscle while I'm losing weight, which is a real consideration. But that's why I'm making sure that I'm getting X amount of protein relative to my goals while still being in a significant calorie deficit. So one thing that's interesting about weight loss is it's been proven you can eat whatever you want and lose weight. Like the dude who did the Twinkie diet proved it. I don't care what diet you do. As long as you're in a deficit, you're going to lose weight. You could eat a thousand calories of Twinkies and you will still lose weight if 1,000 puts you in a deficit. So I'm aiming for a certain deficit through diet and then adding 1,500 to it based on my body weight. And I readjust it every single week because your basal metabolic rate changes depending on your weight. So you know, the more you weigh, the more calories you burn. And as you lose weight, one of the main reasons people plateau is because their level of uh, expenditure doesn't rise to meet their lowered needs, basically. Right, right. So I'm constantly calculating that and eating in a way that will retain my muscle, give me maximum nutrition, as well as keep blood pressure low. So no dairy, very low sodium and tons of anti-inflammatory foods. So lots of kale, lots of uh, flaxseed, things like that with lots of omega-3s. And then I'm supplementing B vitamins because I I don't eat meat. And just making sure that like the happy vitamins are in, in high supply, like vitamin D, for instance. And drinking about a gallon of water a day. It's pretty fucking strict. 1,500 milligrams of sodium is pretty low. Unless you're eating only like raw foods or something, it's very easy, as you know, to go over it. Because even if you don't add salt, there's so much sodium in the food that we buy. It's kind of forced me to really, really focus on it. And also, not eating meat and not eating dairy. Like, I'm not vegan, let me just say. I'm just doing plant-based 100% because I want to have low blood pressure And because like we were saying with COVID, one of the comorbidities is being overweight or having high blood pressure. And the best blood pressure diet is plant-based. Like that's been proven. But because my goal also is to retain as much muscle as possible, have to really do this correctly. It can't just eat broccoli all day. Do you eat eggs? No. Okay. Zero animal products. Got it. I'm not against it. I just don't do it right now. I just posted an Instagram story that I want to go back to Italy. I will definitely eat cheese when I go back to Italy. So yeah, I'm not a vegan. I'm just doing uh, plant-based for the health reasons. But it's been proven that vegans, plant-based people can be significantly more unhealthy 
than they think because of what they're missing. There's been a lot of studies that show this. So if you think you're doing plant-based just for your health, that is possible, but you have to do the research on how to do it correctly. So I had to go down that rabbit hole and uh, I'm pretty fucking strict about it. And the mental clarity that I get as a result of eating this way is unbelievable. It helps so much. And the sustained energy I get all day long from eating like this, at first it sucks. If you're used to some of the addictive foods in the American diet, like salt, sugar, certain kinds of fat, or those things put together, (laughs) you can go through a withdrawal period. But once your body adjusts and your mind more importantly adjusts, first of all, your taste buds change. Like If you like desserts, I'm not big on desserts, but say you like desserts, you're used to ice cream and stuff like that, cookies, fruit is not going to be very appetizing because it's like a shitty version of that. But once you've done this long enough and your taste buds change, you will appreciate things like fruit in a way that you never appreciated before. And over that we're saying sugar is bad, but from everything I understand, fructose, it might be sugar, but the way that the body deals with it is very, very different than refined sugar. Plus the amounts are so low in fruits compared to like a can of Coke. It's really not a big deal. Like you're not going to eat enough blueberries, like a thousand calories of blueberries, you know, how many blueberries? You got to eat a lot of blueberries. You got to eat a lot of blueberries. You know those Driscoll raspberry cases that are like this big? Yes. So we'll, we'll buy them at the store and I'll eat it in one sitting. You know, we'll, like we'll have to buy four of them because I'll eat one a day and they're gone. It's good for you. And it's one of the best things you can have. You know, blueberries, berries, what, you know, we can talk all day about that. But yeah, like the taste bud thing. Here's something just to add to that. I haven't eaten really like shit at all, you know, in in weeks and weeks and weeks. All my sugar intake has been either from like I'm a big dark chocolate fan, but I'm talking like 85% and higher dark chocolate. The real thing. Real thing, yeah. So that's probably my biggest daily sugar intake is I'll have a, a couple pieces of like really dark chocolate, which is great for you too. But I eat a lot of fruit apples, berries, mainly apples and and like raspberries and blueberries. The other day, my wife made cookies, chocolate chip cookies, and she made the cookie dough. And I fucking love chocolate chip cookies and chocolate chip cookie dough. So, and she made this great recipe. It was like brown butter and like all this good stuff. And I just took my spoon and just fucking, you know, couldn't stop myself. And dude, within like five minutes, horrendous headache. Oh, yes. I mean, it was like a rush of a headache. And I was like, oh my God, like I haven't done this in a while. I can't believe I used to eat like this all the time. It's craziness. And then I think about it, I didn't feel good. I literally didn't feel good when I would eat like that. So it's funny, I did that and I just wanted it to go away more than anything. Like I couldn't eat any more of it. I just, I'm I'm done. I have a similar story. By the way, I've never been a cigarette smoker. Me neither. But I've tried them at different times. And it always made me feel like like shit. And I know smokers who try to quit and then they start again. Typically, once, you know, once their withdrawal goes away, they actually feel like they poison themselves. Like so I've been eating super clean and I think my brother 
made some like mashed potatoes with butter and cheese in them. And there were some beans and some cheese on them. And I was like, fuck it. That looks good, man. What a mistake. After like a month of eating completely clean, having that, I wanted to die. So first of all, I got the sweats, which sucked. Second of all, worst stomach ache ever. Bloated. Bloated. Third of all, headache. It was terrible. Yeah, exactly. It's just such an indicator. It's like, you know, it tastes good and, and you love the instant sort of return on investment there. But you quickly realize how shitty of an investment it is when you start to feel the effects of that stuff digesting. Oh man, it's horrible. Yeah. The thing is you develop a tolerance for it. If you've been eating that way all your life, you you don't notice it. But the moment you stop and you go back to it, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. So the thing is, for me, how to keep this up when travel resumes. So I'm already thinking about that because I'm not interested in eating great here and then going on the road and then having those side effects and being laid out for uh, for a day from just eating that crap. Yeah, it is a challenge. I mean, that's something that I've had to try to get really good at. But you can certainly, I mean, you know this, you can find something healthy pretty much anywhere you go. You can. And a lot of it is to, you know, planning the right way. I was going to ask you when you were talking about the stuff you're eating, do you eat nuts? Yes, pistachios and walnuts primarily. Okay, yeah. Unsalted. Both very good for you. Specifically, the walnuts are great for lowering blood pressure. Yes. As well. And flaxseed, which counts. Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. I recently gotten into Brazil nuts and Peely nuts. Yes, Brazil nuts. I've heard that even having them like once a month makes a difference. Yeah, they're great for you. They're really good sources of fat. And it's the type of fat that really is good for brain health because our brains are made up of a lot of fat. If I am like snacking or like feel the craving to eat something, I've trained myself rather than go to sweets or chips or crap, you know, I'll grab a handful of nuts or, you know, like a scoop of nut butter. I like almond butter. I like there's this company that does like fat bomb butter. That's really good for you. So it's high levels of fat, but it's good fat that you need within your day. That's good for your brain and good for energy, you know. So anyway, I was just curious if, if that's part of your intake. Yes, I definitely do include nuts in the diet for those reasons. And also because I'm trying to retrain myself for when I get the impulse to have something bad, I immediately do something good now. Sometimes it's doing a set of push-ups or something. Get an impulse to like order a pizza, which I'm not going to do, but the impulses still happen. Like my brain still wants that shit and I'm not going to do it because of COVID and I'm not going to do it because I'm on this plan, but I don't want to be having those impulses anymore. I want to retrain myself completely. So whenever they happen, I immediately do something positive, like have an apple, have some nuts, do some push-ups. And theory being that anytime I get a bad impulse, I'll just be conditioned to do something positive. And then having that makes it go away. I've noticed. Yeah, it does. I drink a lot of liquids during those moments. One, because it can make you full. You know, if you're feeling a craving or something, have a big glass of water, it'll fill you up. But two, with all the shit that we're both doing, it takes a lot of energy to digest. And our, our bodies process liquids so much faster and easier than they do solids. So if we can fill 
our bodies with liquid during those times and we don't actually need the sustenance of food, then we're going to feel lighter. We're going to be able to move better. We're going to have better results to all of these mental and physical practices as well. Absolutely. Also, I've noticed that food fucks with my ability to think, even if it's like a salad and half a cup of beans, like immediately afterwards, my brain is slowed down. And now I like, I'm so keenly aware of that now that I try to save most solids for later when I don't have to use my brain. So the last element of all this, because I know you got to go soon and this should be covered, is I am doing an intermittent fasting regimen. Yeah, me too. I haven't eaten yet. Yeah, neither have I. How long do you do yours for? Depends on the day, but like today, it'll probably be like between 17 to 18 hours. Nice. Very nice. I think I finished eating last night at like nine, maybe. I feel like I had my last bite of something. So it'll be 18 today because I, I probably won't eat until three o'clock. So just about 18 hours or so. Do you find that working out interferes with that at all? No. Well, hunger wise or energy wise. It depends on the workout. Okay. Yeah. It depends on the workout. With my current schedule, I typically do my workouts later in the day after I've eaten something. So like I'll eat at three, let's say. I'll do my workout around four or 4.30. Same here. Exactly that. This is why I do the P90X at night. Yeah. You need the calories. You need the energy. Unless you're going to do it right when you wake up, but that's... No, but then I'll need to eat right after. Exactly. It's very hard to do that. Yeah. I can't do P90X and then go four hours without eating. Like that is not going to work. I can do an hour of cardio though and not eat. It's better to do the cardio on an empty stomach. Like if I'm going to do the bike or battle ropes or even like 200 burpees, I'd prefer to do that fasted on an empty stomach. Yeah, same here. But yeah, when you're like, if I'm going to do like a heavy kettlebell routine or something like that, or lifting weights or anything where it's like a serious expenditure of energy, I like to have good food in my stomach. So like, for example, when I do eat, I'll make a bowl with a little bit of brown rice at the bottom, avocado, eggs, any vegetables that are left over from dinner last night, I'll throw in there. The worst thing I'll put on it is some hot sauce and that's it. Oh man, risky. Really walking the line there. <laughs> nah, I, I ate a lot of pepper. I ate a lot of jalapenos. I ate a lot of really spicy stuff. I, I just enjoy it. And there's health benefits to that as well. That's what I'll break my fast with. And I try not to overdo it because you don't want to feel like weighted down. Which will happen. Yeah, but that'll be my biggest meal. And then for dinner, you know, it always, it's something different, but like we try to eat really healthy. A normal dinner during this whole experience that, you know, my wife is a great cook. Like the other night, she did like a lean ground beef burger patty, like 90-10 in terms of the fat content. We'll do that. We'll put it over a little bit of brown rice with usually it's like a vegetable medley of like cauliflower, onions, Brussels sprouts, and maybe broccoli or something, right? Yeah. And that's it. And it's just all whole food. There's no refined carbohydrates, no refined sugar, no extra salt. That's great. No crap. The only bad stuff on any of this is if you put sauce on it. And even like sriracha. Sriracha is okay. It's not going to kill you, but it's still got extra sodium. Yeah. And it's still got sugar. Dude, I have like no salad dressing, no sauce, like nothing. And at first it was really tough, but when I have a salad now... Oh, you get to taste it, right? Yeah, there's nothing on it. And then the beans or something is sodium-free. And 
at first I was like, holy shit, this sucks. I don't feel that way anymore. You know, the intermittent fasting, man, I know that it's a trendy thing, but anytime that I've been in the best shape of my life and have been successfully managing weight and feeling good, I have done that. It just wasn't a thing yet. And there's so much good that comes out of it. Now I get it. If you're hypoglycemic or, you know, you're like Finn, it won't work because like Finn or Joel, the moment that they don't eat, their brain starts malfunctioning. I'm not like that. My brain malfunctions when I eat. So the intermittent fasting works great. And I have heard, now I don't know if this is true, that if you do extended fasts, it's not compatible with keeping your immune system strong in these times. So I'm not doing the 36-hour or the 58-hour fasts, but I was doing those last year, and I love them. The thing that they say about your hunger going away is true. Once you get past those first 36 hours, I don't know how long you've done it for, but like something happens where, I don't know, like your energy comes back and... You don't need the food. It's craziness. Yeah, it's definitely not ideal during this time. To your point, it's not good for your immune system in a situation like this to be deprived of nutrients. It's just not good. So yeah, don't do that. But it's funny. I don't know if you follow this person, but I'm a fan of another doctor, Peter Atia. Yes, absolutely. I love him. He kind of brought back this whole thing from Sunday night to Monday night is the only like major fast he does aside from like, you know, maybe 12 to 18 hours on a daily basis, but he'll finish dinner at, you know, 6 or 7 p.m. on Sunday and he will fast through Monday night or, you know, Monday dinner. That's the extent of his fast during this time. And this is a guy who, as you know, does seven day fasts normally. But again, if anybody listening, they want to go check it out. He's been very vocal about the importance of likely that it's better to not do extended fasts during this time because it could be a detriment to your immune system. I'll listen to him. I remember what he said was that the benefits from these extended fasts happen after. So like those immune benefits everybody's talking about happen after, but during the extended fast, you're susceptible. You do not want to be susceptible right now, so just don't do it. But 16 hours, 18 hours, no problem. Totally. We don't, we don't need to be eating all day. That's for damn sure. Hydrating. Yeah. That's a different story. Yeah. Hydrating. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the water thing. So first off, when I take my cold shower, one of the things I'm doing is literally just like standing under the, the cold faucet and drinking the water. I drink a lot of cold water during. You must have clean water there. We do. We do okay. have clean water here. Um, so I drink I drink the, the water here. And then once I go downstairs, while making my coffee, while the water is heating up, I'll have two big full glasses of water. And that's why I need a good like hour to make sure I, I purge the system before I go do my breathing. Makes sense. It's a cool process, man. But all this stuff, you know, to kind of bring it back is this to me isn't just like quote unquote wartime material. This is stuff I'm going to do now as part of my routine on a daily basis, no matter where I am and what's going on in the world. Same here. I've thought about how I can work this into my day on tour into a normal day. And man, there's plenty of time for it. Totally, totally. And there's no shortage of cold showers on the road either. That's the other <laughs> great part. Especially in Europe. Yeah, oh yeah, especially in Europe. But but I mean, there's plenty of time to do this stuff. And maybe I'm not doing the full extent, but there's definitely time to do the minimal viable dose. 
of all of these things. Yes, there's a maintenance level you can sustain. I've been thinking about this too. And it's like, when I start thinking about how to sustain it on the road, I'm like, why didn't I just do this already? But I think it's because it had to be established as habit and lifestyle. And then once it is habit and lifestyle, then you just adopt it to whatever you're going through. But building it into lifestyle and habit is really hard when you're in constant flux. Funny enough, I don't even have a drum set set up where I'm living right now. So when people are like, oh, you're a drummer, it's like, not for the past few weeks, I'm not. Ah, you'll be fine. Uh, I'm not worried about it, but I am excited for the new house. I'll have all my toys. I'll have the drums. I'll have the sauna. I got. That's the one thing I wanted to tell you. The other thing that I ordered along with the barrel sauna is an ice barrel. Oh, shit. Well, I got an ice shirt. So, okay. So, there, yeah, those things are cool too. And that's one other thing I've been doing is I've been doing ice baths. So Okay, so you are well into this. <laughs> I'm well into this, yeah. To the point where like, it's funny, man. The other day, I emptied out the freezer of all the ice we had and I put it in the bathtub, which was filled up with all the cold water. And I get in it. And the ice starts to melt because of my body heat, right? And I'm like, I'm sitting there and I, I time myself for 10 minutes to sit in this this quote-unquote ice bath. And I was just like, man, like this is not enough ice. This is nowhere near enough ice for what I now have graduated to. So I ordered the ice barrel, which is just a, a literally a barrel that you fill with water mm -hmm. and you fill with ice and it's, you know, it, it's insulated to stay cold and you just get in it. You can. Where'd you get the ice? Because it takes a lot of ice. Oh, so hold on. So okay. here's, this is the kicker. <laughs> All right. So I haven't ordered it yet uh, and I haven't received the ice barrel yet. That's going to be for the new house. But I'm in the process of deciding which commercial ice machine I'm going to have in my new house. I'm going to literally... <laughs> so I've looked on some sites of like the top 10 like you know, home slash commercial ice machines that can produce enough ice. And I need like 30 to 40 probably pounds of ice a day is what I've deduced. So I'm actually going to buy an ice machine that I can leave plugged in that every day I can scoop out, I can fill the ice barrel with, and then I get it. Hotel style. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it won't be that big. But yeah, so I'm going to have the, the sauna, I'm going to have the ice barrel, and I'm going to have the ice machine so that I can make sure that I'm uh, I'm into it. And and the goal is to, rather than jump into the cold showers in the morning, I'm going to wake up, I'm going to go outside on the deck, and I'm going to get in that ice barrel first Fuck thing. Fuck yeah. That's, that's the goal. So that's what I'm looking forward to. All my, all my new fun toys. I don't give a shit about cars. I don't give a shit about video games. I just want to get in the ice and have a good time. <laughs> Man, I don't care about that stuff either. This is the stuff I'm into right now. That's very cool. Like I've always had the dream of being able to be weathered enough to handle the ice bath situation. I'm not there yet. You, you will. You, you'll do it. I um I really challenge myself. Last thing I'll I'll tell you. Last story is my wife and her family have a beach house in Ocean City, Maryland. We went down there just to kind of get away for about a week, about a week and a half ago. It was cold, like, you know, again, in the 40s. And the ocean definitely hasn't warmed up yet. But I thought to myself, you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah, if I if I can't do this, then I'm just all I'll talk. So and I was I was posting stories of it because she was my wife was filming me from the deck, like terrified that I was going to get swept up or I was going to freeze up. But Man, it was awesome. I did uh, plunges into the ocean every day. The first day I was able to do like two and a half minutes. Next day I was able to do five. 
by the end, I was doing 10 minutes, you know, in the ocean each day. It was a good experience. And talk about like meditating and the focus it requires. It's freezing cold and you're in the ocean and you can't turn your back on it and you got to be able to pay attention to the way. Oh, yeah. She could die. <laughs> yeah, it was a full-on sensory, physical, and mental experience. It just got me excited for the next step, which is the the true on like true full-on ice baths. Have you ever read the book Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins? No, I haven't read his book. There's a couple others I've read that are in that same vein. However, I haven't read his. Okay, I've read a bunch of these ex-Navy SEAL books. His is not like the others. I highly recommend it and I don't recommend many books. Like if you're into pushing yourself, I think you'll love this book, but there's a long section about the training that's described in a way that I've never heard. Like he is a savage beast, but what he was talking about was a lot of the surf torture where they would just sit there for 18 hours straight just in the surf, like dealing with the cold and the waves hitting them in the face for like all night long. Holy shit. It's hard. You should read it. You want to see what people are capable of. Well, right. That's, and I, dude, I always think of him when I'm working out or I'm in a situation like being in the water. Because I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. I follow him and, and, and I know what he's about. Yeah. Which is that, you know, we are way more capable than we think to accomplish crazy things. And we have to fight against the fight or flight conditioning and, and essentially create what they call the wedge between the conditioning and what you can cognitively and consciously say, I can do more, you know, so you can do more reps, you can stay in for longer, you, you know. Yeah, I'm way into that. So I'll check out that book. Trust me, I normally don't buy the books from these dudes I follow for some reason, but something about him and the name of the book can't hurt me. It's just like... It's a beast, dude. I bet you there's something cool. And I read it in one night. It's fucking awesome. I'll get it. I'll buy it right now. His marathon stories are insane. Actually, get the audiobook version. Okay. Because the audiobook version has a commentary on it. Like, so him and the writer, they'll read the chapter and then they'll talk about it, like podcast style. So it's not like a normal audiobook, but it goes a lot deeper than if you just read it. I highly recommend it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll check it out. One that I just finished reading is called What Doesn't Kill Us. It has to do with these sort of extreme athletes or people like Wim Hof, Laird Hamilton, a number of others that push themselves beyond that wedge. That is what it's about. So I'm inspired by it. You know, it's like I want to know what I'm capable of in a safe way. I want to be able to stay in the ocean for, for 20 minutes next time. I want to be able to do it after that for 30 minutes, next, you know, the, after that. Maybe not 18 hours. But. Right. But, you know, it's like, my wife's tendency was she was so worried that in two minutes I'm going to freeze up. My arms are going to freeze. I'm going to drown. It's like, no way. Like, that's not going to happen. Like, if anything, you're more turned on and more activated to be aware of what is going to happen to you and when that moment of fight or flight is going to kick in and whether or not you can stay longer or if it actually is time, which is, again, goes back to mindfulness, right? Being aware of what's happening to you in a stressful state and being able to make a decision of, can I 
withstand this more or do I need to listen to my body at this point? And you get better and better at doing that over time. Absolutely. It's dumb to be irresponsible with it. That's not cool to be irresponsible, but if you can do it responsibly, it's a really great way to find immense personal achievement that lasts for a long time, you know, like inspires you for a long time. So I forget who said this, but I really, really do agree with it. Maybe it was Gary V. I'm not sure, but the meaning of life is progress. When I started thinking about it, I was like, I think he's right. Because anytime I'm happy is when I have that feeling of not the actual achievement. Like I don't care about like X amount of sales or something like that. I mean, I do, but I don't I, like. It's fleeting. It's like, okay, you're on to the next thing. Yeah. Like when I got my nice car, it was like, cool. And then I didn't give a fuck five minutes later. It's the feeling of progress that's like truly fulfilling. Yeah. I love my car and it's fun to do shit with. It's fun to like, you know, mod certain aspects and take pictures. And, you know, it's like a fun little toy. But the the fulfillment that I get from that pales in comparison to to, to being able to sit through 60, 60 minutes in a hot sauna and actually push yourself to do that when you want to get out at the 35 minute mark or 20 minute mark. It's, it's the feeling of pushing yourself to stay in the shower for 11 minutes instead of 10. Absolutely. It's those things that like when I, when I'm done, I'm like, Oh yeah. Like I'll do a dance. I'm so happy that I accomplished that next level. So I don't know what, what's cool is that all of these things can be done without any material possessions for the most part, Correct. you know, like, like, and it might not be cold or it might not be sauna, but it could be push-ups, or it could be breath work or meditation, which all allow you to be able to accomplish or reach that same kind of feeling and result, you know? Yeah. Yeah. If you can't afford the personal sauna, don't worry. Like there's a variation of all this stuff that you can do. It's interesting. Like this type of fulfillment is not something you can buy your way into. It's all in your choices and what you dedicate yourself to. And the beauty of it is that you don't really need anything for it. Now is the perfect time to develop those habits, just to just to bring this full circle. Yeah, so just stay safe, everybody, and uh, wash your hands and be smart and just avoid the COVID. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't want that shit. <laughs> no, and dude, I had no idea that you uh, that you had had H1N1. I can't imagine. And, and really, I mean, what you went through is the same exact progression of symptoms and uh, experiences that people with, with this disease are experiencing. Yeah, dude, I was in the hospital for like 11 days. Oh my God, man. Uh, yeah. Quarantined, like where they were dealing with me with like the hazmat suits and... Were you more overweight at that time? Less. Okay, got it. Like, I mean, I've lost a ton now, but I was definitely in pretty good shape. Like I was on tour okay, and stuff. Got it. I was 29. Uh, this sedentary lifestyle destroyed me. So I'm actually getting back to how I was. But at that point in time, I was maybe 20 pounds overweight or something. I was fine and I was in good shape. And that could have been the thing that actually saved me, saved your life, right? Yes. You know, which is, which is all the more reason why it's another reason why to just focus on health and wellness 
Because, and this is what I thought about, right? This is another reason, if you need a reason why to do this shit every day, even outside of this scenario, you never know when the next pandemic's gonna hit. And you don't wanna be the person that's like, oh shit, like I had all this time to get healthy and get my act together and get in shape. And now I'm dead. I'm high risk. Yeah. And I say that because I let myself slip over the past probably year or so to some degree, having no idea like everybody else that this situation would occur. And I was kicking myself. I was like, dude, I should have eaten better before. I should have thought about my blood pressure more seriously before. I should have done all these things before. And it would have lowered the level of anxiety that I faced. So it's good to do it no matter what. But if you need a reason, realize that a pandemic is very possible again at some point. And this thing isn't going to be over anytime soon. No, in fact, they predict the worst second wave later this year. Right, exactly. So in words similar to David Goggins, like this is fucking war. This is get ready for battle, motherfucker. And like, yep. <laughs> go figure out what you can work into your routine that gives you that edge. Because that is going to be the difference between somebody who approaches this situation better, smarter, stronger, and with less stress than others out there aren't prepared. I just want to reiterate I realize some of the things that we've talked about require financial means and we're in fortunate positions, but beachbody.com is $9 a month. Push-ups are free. Cold showers, shit's free. Like Breathing. Breathing. Meditation. Yeah. The core of this stuff, you can just do. Like You don't need to buy an elliptical like I did. Like All that matters is that you understand the importance and you do it. Yeah, burpees are free. Yeah, exactly. And they're hard as fuck. And they suck. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Dude, it's been a pleasure as always. It's great to catch up with you too. Yeah, likewise. We should do it more often for sure. Man, that's the beautiful thing about podcasting. There's no other time that I get to catch up with friends I haven't talked to in ages and actually talk to them for like two and a half hours or something. Who does that, right? I don't. Except for on podcasts. It's one of my ways of reconnecting with people. So in addition to helping the business. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Awesome. Okay, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends, as well as post them to your Facebook, Instagram, or any social media you use. Please tag me at URM Audio, And of course, please tag my guests as well. Till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.